The Game Podcast is proudly sponsored by StarCityGames.com, and right now the SCG holiday sale is happening all September long. Big congratulations go out to SCG Season 2 Invitational Champion Ely Cassis. I'm also back from the World Magic Cup, which means I'm back to producing regular content. You can find it on SCG Premium, along with great work from Season 2 Invitational Finalist Sam Black, Patrick Chapin, Todd Stevens, Brad Nelson, and more every weekday. Welcome to the 55th episode of the Game Podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Thompson, and here with me is Brian Gottlieb, whose tag for this Zencaster is number 19. And I was like, why, man? Why number 19? Because one better than number 20. That's that's what I'm saying right now. One better than number 20. And if you guys don't know, the new number 20 in the world <laughs> is my co-host, Jerry Thompson. Oh, man. Like, I, I saw that tweet, and I retweeted it. I'm just like, that's cool. You know, like, obviously, after I won the PT, I was on that list or whatever, but then kind of fell off. Yeah, I, I just didn't even think about it. And what a dagger, man. You're I a know. jerk. Do you, is this your highest ranking you've achieved on the, the list so far? No, I think I was, like, 12 or 13 after I won the PT, but, like, obviously, that's just kind of cheating. You know, it's like, if you spike a tournament, that should not be indicative of, like, where you rank or, like, how you rank yourself, you right. know? There's some, there's some so flaws like, with that ranking system in general, but I, I do like that it exists. It's at least a neat talking point, and it gave us an intro to the show, so how can I really complain about it? Hell yeah. I mean, we didn't really need an intro. We would have figured something out, I'm sure. We always do. Anyway, I just got back from France, and we'll talk about that. Uh, I guess I don't even know this. Like, what have you been up to? Have you been playing Magic? I know that you've been busy with work and stuff, but... Yeah, I've been, uh, you know, mostly focusing on Limited against my better judgment right now for a couple of reasons. Number one, I think I'm pretty comfortable saying that Standard is mostly solved. I hate that phrase, like solved kind of is giving up in a lot of ways, but we know what's out there. There's certainly still small adaptations to make, but kind of my interest is subsiding in the standard. I'm, I'm ready for spoilers. I'm ready to start brewing with new cards. So I've been focusing on limited, even though I'm not a huge fan of Ixalan limited, I do have GP New Jersey coming up. So I figure it's good to get in some reps there. So, you know, just drafting. I haven't forced myself to play much sealed, even though that is obviously what day one is, but trying to get what little enjoyment I can out of Ixalan and, and that's in the draft format. So. Okay, cool. Uh, I was going to ask you what the secret to sealed was because I went to GP Phoenix and mostly got smashed and my sealed deck was kind of abysmal. And it's just like, you know, what, what, what could I have done? You know, most sealed formats, there's some sort of avenue that you can go down, even if your deck is bad. And in this case, it was just like, I just have like a bunch of vanillas and like two removal spells and no tricks or anything. And it just seemed like my pool didn't co cooperate, but like I, I think that that's just a giant cop out most of the time. It usually is. I mean, you know, great sealed players can find pools that most people wouldn't find. That being said, there are circumstances where there's just no answer there. Certainly, you could have had that in Phoenix. I didn't see your pool, so I don't know. But as far as just kind of like broad sealed advice for this format, I don't really have it. I it feels like a super synergy based format, as a lot of sealed formats are these days, and. I think that's kind of part of the effect of maybe Wizards not designing what's sealed in mind anymore. Like if you point everything towards the draft format, it, it does leave some holes in sealed deck construction. So there does feel like a little bit of a lottery element to this sealed format where, oh, I hope I got my synergies and acknowledging that's a bit of a cop out, but it is, it is what it is. Sometimes that's just the truth. I have some, some inside info, you know, like I hang around with some Wizards people. So I hear some stories like this and I was told somewhat recently that like a lot of the green and red commons got uh, slightly nerfed like towards the end of development because like the majority of sealed decks were just green and red. Okay, so maybe they didn't contemplate the kind of ripples of balance that happen when you do things like that. And, and now without those colors being as strong, you're almost priced into synergy based decks and not just playing good cards across colors anymore. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like... Obviously, I don't know like what got nerfed and to what extent or whatever is probably just like, you know, some random common dude or lost a toughness or something, you know, yeah. like they, they never do anything too drastic. But uh, I, I just know that like I want to share that because it does mean that they are paying are attention to sealed yeah, at least a little bit, you know. I thought the the narrative I'd kind of heard for quite some time now was that sealed wasn't being paid attention to. So that's, uh, you know, that's certainly contrary to what I've heard in the past. No, when um, I was there, when I was there, we did like you know, maybe 
five or I did like five sealed per format or something, which is like not a ton, but like mm-hmm. I also wasn't in every single one that got fired. So yeah, I mean, like it, it is a thing. It is part of the process. Like they definitely do care about it, especially with limited Grand Prix and uh, you know, there's like team sealed is a pretty big portion of things and stuff. So like, yeah, they definitely care. Obviously it's not like the primary factor for like developing a set or anything, but it does matter. Yeah, the distinctions between designing for the two are super interesting too. Like designing a good draft format doesn't automatically translate into a good like general limited format, a good team sealed format, a good regular sealed format. So I'd be really interesting from a design perspective to kind of analyze where it breaks down, where the kind of themes don't carry over successfully. Yeah. Ooh, uh, another another weirdo segue. You saw the great designer search is coming back. Are you going to enter into that? What do you think? I will enter into it. I see a lot of people who have been like waiting for the great designer search for a very long time and they're super like, yes, finally I get my chance. I don't know that I feel that strongly about it. I I enjoy design. I enjoy thinking about design. So kind of participating in the great designer search, even if it's not necessarily a means to a career, I'll enjoy the process of applying, but I'm not, I'm not banking a huge amount of hope on it. It's something that if I get the free time to do it, I'll certainly do it. I think you're safe. I think I'm going to hang around with you for a little while, Jerry. You don't have to worry about losing. <laughs> that wasn't why I brought it up, but that is <laughs> that is certainly a fair point. Yeah, I just thought it might be something that it would be like fun for you. You know? Yeah. No, exactly right. I, I think it's a good like fun activity for me. I don't see it as a huge defining moment in my life, but I know some people are super stoked to have the opportunity to just do some design. And there's a lot of kind of amateur designers out there who have been waiting kind of chomping at the bit for this chance. So yeah. it'll be cool to see what comes from it. I always enjoy following the coverage of it. I think it's really interesting. They do a really nice job in the past on wizards.com kind of walking through the contestants and showing their designs every week. So that'll be fun to see. Yeah, I mean, the last one happened like it's it seems just like a million years ago. And at the time, I was certainly not that interested in game design, but I did follow it a little bit just because like there were some names that I recognized and stuff and it was mostly cool, but also like now I think I have a much better handle on things and I can appreciate like people's actual world building and designs and stuff. So yeah, I'm actually looking forward to the coverage now too. Yeah, you get some of the nuance that maybe you missed before as, oh, as now you're an insider, you know? A lot of it. But yeah, man, uh, France, World Magic Cup, got the team with Captain America himself, Reed Duke. I, I kind of feel bad because like whenever I bring it up, it's because like, you know, Reed is such a big deal, but like I don't want to undersell or forget Oliver Tomiko also. Like he was also just like a very, very valuable teammate. The way things broke, this is kind of the cliff notes, is we lost playing for top eight. We got defeated by Wales twice in the same pod. If you're wondering what the hell that means, don't worry about it. The tournament structure is super weird, but not completely unplayable or anything, but it was kind of weird. Thankfully, I got to play with all the good cards, so my record was quite good. I went 8-1 with Saltai. Oliver, I think, went something like 6-3 with Ramonep Red, and Reed actually did not win a match that mattered over the course of the entire weekend, and he was playing Blue Eye Gift. So do you guys think you maybe handicapped him with your deck selection a little bit? I know that generally in that spot, you saw either blue-white gift and the Japanese team that won the entire World Magic Cup did have the blue-white gift in that spot. You saw blue-white cycling in some instances and even some instances of blue-black control. Yeah, and the the blue-black decks looked pretty good. I didn't look too closely at uh, Rizzi's list, but uh, Sam Rolfe, People might recognize from Moto as Chirolane. Uh He does some streaming too. Like he was part of the Wales team and he played blue black and his deck looked pretty sweet actually. And yeah, we didn't really explore that too much. Uh, we didn't explore configurations with like mono red and Mardu vehicles, which I think might've been a punt. So yeah, we could have done a better job. It was just like, you know, how much time do we want to spend like brewing these weirdo decks that may or may not be good when, we know that the gift deck is solid and both Reed and I had played with it and we're, we we both just gave it like the green light. Reed was the one who was testing it the most at the end. So he's just like, yeah, I'll play this, whatever. And I figured out uh, some of the sideboard plans I like for Sultai and we, we just ran with it, you know? So I think that brings us to a very important question for regular listeners of this cast who have listened to us talk about Teamer forever and ever. Why Sultai as opposed to Teamer? Was it just preserving the red cards for the mono red deck in this case? I will get to that. Actually, let me mention something else really quick too. I think Reed had very unlucky pairings for his seat. And I don't think that there was a lot of science behind like picking who sits in what seat or whatever. But yeah, yeah he was he was supposed to be like fighting like the teamer people and, and kind of the mono red people, but he ended up playing against like blue black control and all the weirdo decks. So like 
he just got very unfortunate uh, in a lot of situations. But yeah, as far as Steamer versus Sultai, I don't know. I I came in just assuming that we were going to have to split the red cards because Teamer and Red were the best decks. And then I started thinking about like what sorts of combinations would like you know each deck have. Like obviously the red deck needs a braid, but like I was playing more braids than sprays in my Teamer deck, and mostly just moving away from spray in general. And it was like okay, well. I can play cut ribbons in that spot and then have more things for God Pharaoh's gift to my sideboard, like, you know, two rivers rebukes, maybe appetite, confiscation coup, whatever. So I didn't think that it was going to be that big of a deal. And like ribbons is actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. So I was not super unhappy with that. And then Reed was just like, well, like a lot of people are playing Sultai, like we should at least try it. And then I did. And I was just like, oh, hell, this deck is actually just really good. And I, I just kind of stuck with it. And I, I think I played like four or five leagues which is obviously not the the most extensive testing in the world, but I also played like a few sets against Oliver playing red to like hammer out my sideboard plans and stuff. And the the thing that kept happening in the leagues that just kind of floored me was that like I always smashed Teamer. I was undefeated against Teamer. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of, I mean, it's surprising to hear it was that dramatic, but that was kind of the basis behind the rise of Soltai at the Pro Tour, right? It was perfectly positioned to beat Teamer. Well, in fairness, though, at that point, most of the teamer list had moved to four colors. So right. did you see a lot of four color in the leagues or were you beating straight I, I teamer? I was beating like straight four glory bringer teamer. So okay. the trick is that I had, no matter which list I was testing, I had things like Essence Scatter or Harsh Scrutiny that were good against glory bringer. And I was mm-hmm. very cognizant of like the turns where they could deploy glory bringer. So like if they have a servant on turn two, I might not care, but... If they have it around on turn three, okay, like maybe I'm going to go out of my way to kill this thing so I don't get Glorybringer the next turn, uh, assuming that it would be like kind of devastating for me. And I would like maybe save a Blossoming Defense for it. I added Bristling Hydra to my sideboard. At one point, I was testing a couple of the main deck just to have more things that lined up well against Glorybringer, and I think that served me pretty well. The Glorybringer dance may be the most interesting part of Standard right now. It's it's such a, a carefully balanced, carefully orchestrated key turn that we're playing at this point where you really have to consider all right what happens with Glorybringer here how can I alter my game plan to play around Glorybringer because it's a very difficult card to play around when it clocks you for four in the air I think that's the the strategic point of standard and it's where I see really great players getting their biggest edge is properly both deploying and playing around Glorybringer. it's it's very similar to Gideon of last season right it was like Yes, a, a big thing that that Brad did throughout like the entirety of Gideon's run in Standard was how do you beat Gideon on the play? Like turn four, Gideon on the play. Is there a deck that can break serve against it? Is is there like a certain combination of cards or something that we can have to actually make this not as relevant or not as good as it should be? And yeah, Glorybringer feels the exact same way. It doesn't come out on turn four every single game, but like there are certainly those games with Servant of the Conduit where that is a real possibility. So yeah, it is definitely a thing that you have to be cognizant of. And I made a few tiny tweaks to my deck just to be a little bit more aware of it. And I think that those worked out pretty well. And that's the Essence Scatter, Harsh Scrutiny type cards. Yeah, or, you know, even even just like how, how you play your cards, right? Like, you know, this came up like very rarely, but there are also like things with like Walking Ballista, right? Where it's like, oh, do I want to invest like four mana into making my Ballista a 3-3 because it's just going to get Glorybringer the next turn or whatever? Like, does that actually help me? Or like, can I play Hostage Taker this turn? Because if they Glorybringer me, it's just a disaster. So like, maybe I have to wait on the Hostage Taker until next turn. Really interesting decision points. You know, I, I kind of pooped on standard a little bit in our intro where I said I wasn't that interested in anymore. From a gameplay perspective, I think standard's still great. I think there's super interesting games being played all the time. All these decision points, I I really like the style of magic being played. It's just more from a deck building perspective. I don't think there's a ton to do. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I think that there's like some some stuff that exists in like the blue-red Thopter energy space. Like those decks are kind of creeping up over the last month or so and and maybe those end up being playable i don't know but yeah the the deck building thing it's like i i haven't even looked at the numbers recently i'm sure it's very depressing the invitational had very very oh, depressing yeah. numbers it was something like 75 percent energy or something preposterous like that the invitational was brutal and like at that point, I was I was already coming around to just like, oh, mono red is probably the best deck, and like this is probably what I should be doing, you know. And now now that I've played with Sultai, and it's like, oh, I'm kind of like good against red and Teamer and like the weirdo blue white decks and stuff. Like, 
okay, maybe Soltai's the best deck. But yeah, for the most part, it's just like, yeah, you have those tournaments where it's 75% energy, like some variant. It's like, man, this blows. And the games are interesting, but like they're they're kind of the same, especially when the metagame is just that stagnant. Yeah, I mean, 75% based on one mechanic is certainly a problem. When that mechanic's going to be around for quite a bit of time still, you start scratching your head and, you know, the B word that I hate so much starts coming up in conversation. And I, I've already heard it mentioned there. I've already heard talk of potential bans. And I'm not even saying I'm against it at this point because it's hard to see, you know, diversity really blooming out from a point where these decks are so established and, and so streamlined and so good. Um, obviously, we never know what the next set brings, but I am concerned that energy is going to be around for quite a bit more time before we're free of it. What do you think about Banatune on Bancopter? I always thought the Copter ban was a bit of an overreaction. It was just in all all the decks, and like the decks were somewhat low power level overall. Now I think the power level has caught up, and I think that Copter would just help a lot of like you know the artifact decks or like the small creature decks, like. Yeah, I mean, Copter left before a Braid and Fatal Push right. entered the format. Like, two tremendous answers to the card. I think you're exactly right that the Copter ban was a little preemptive. I, I just don't see I don't see them going back in time, kind of. I think they'd be a little hesitant to do an unbanning. Uh, I would be all for it. I, I think the format gets very interesting with an Attune ban, unban Copter. Really, I'm, I'm all for any changes to a format, though, so that's not fair. Basically, anything they do that could shake things up a little bit, I'm... I'm on board with, but I do think Copter is a really interesting card in the kind of, you know, mono black aggro space. Again, improvised base decks that are kind of floating on this borderline between aggro, you know, God Pharaoh's gift. And and I now list all the decks that this card goes in and it's actually all of them. (laughs) I do start to see the problem, but it is, it is all right. It's like maybe not blue, black control or whatever, or like the super hard white blue decks, but yeah, I mean, it, it goes in everything. Like, obviously, you would play them in Teamer Energy, and it's just like, oh, man, I just I just want a card filtering thing in my te- Teamer Energy deck, right? Yeah, I, I think it's not a problematic card to have be ubiquitous. Like, it's an okay card to be in every deck as far as that goes. That's what happens when you make good artifacts, right? Especially good aggressive artifacts. They're going to be in every aggressive deck. I don't know. It seems like that should have been contemplated to some extent when you're designing two mana, three, three flyer that loots every turn. So Yeah, it's hard to say, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's not hard to say. Not hard to say. Yeah. No. But yeah, man, I, I think that would be interesting. Like at the very least, let us let us like build with Copter again. Like you ban you ban a tune and things just kind of proceed as normal. Like people are still gonna play energy decks, like they're gonna have to add a couple lands to their deck or whatever, but it really not a ton changes. Like obviously energy gets much worse because a, a tune is, you know, get get a basic land and then like make a thopter or put a counter on your thing or whatever. You know, it does like all these different abilities, right? But I think assuming like rivals is on the weak side, which I don't know if it is going to be or not. I'm just gonna kind of assume that it is based on Ixalan, then we might not see a ton of changes from the new set. And in which case I would want there to be a big shakeup. Yeah, I'm with you. It just seems unlikely given kind of bad press in the past but you know a, a way to mitigate bad press is to just take something off the ban list give us our few bucks back that we lost during the copter ban I, I don't know i've never been you know i don't think that's a good way to make decisions i think it should always be gameplay first yes but i realize that i come from a different place than a lot of people and what i want isn't necessarily what's best for the game so and that is a completely reasonable take and i appreciate it and i wish more people had you know, just that self-awareness. It would be yeah, good. but if you have self-awareness, you can't get the mob and the uh, the pitchforks and the torches going. And you know that's the favorite part of all Magic players is to just have the angry mob banging on Wizard's door. Was it delivering pizzas that said ban? I, I don't remember how, exactly how it went. Fell Guardian, happened. I think, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that pizza was correct. It's the smartest pizza in the history of Magic, but still. You know how happy I would have been if I was still working at Wizard's and someone just sent me a pizza? Sure. Uh, that's that's the way to someone's heart. Send a pizza. If you ever want to get in touch with me and have me do something on your behalf, send me a pizza. It will work. I promise. Okay. All right. I might have to get your address for you know a future date. Mm. That'll be a, a Patreon bonus. You can get my oh. address to send me pizzas. Yes. Wait, is that a bonus? For me, it is. Definitely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Don't ask questions. Just let it go. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I, it would be an honor to send you a pizza, Brian. Perfect. Okay, so uh, any questions about Salt Eye? I mean, my list is like a little 
different. Like I added a land, which is kind of my trademark. Yeah, I think that's something that we both agreed on that all of these decks were land light. Uh, and I, I'm super happy you took that step. I was just mulliganing so much, man. Like 21 lands is not a lot. And uh, there's 16 green sources, which is fine with a tune. But like sometimes you have like swamp a tune, right? And like, what are you going to do? Like you have to mulligan those hands. I, I added a swamp, so it's not like that necessarily fixes that problem. But like, if I have like swamp, swamp, like siphon or ballista or something, like yeah, I can more reasonably consider keeping that hand. And to go with the twenty-two lands, I also added the fourth ballista. Reed had Brad Nelson kind of on speed dial, and he was just like running my changes by him. And Brad mentioned that ballista is like one of the best cards that you can have access to in game one because it's like the card that you want to peel going into the later stages of the game more often than anything else. And sure. this deck finds itself in those spots a reasonable amount. So it's like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Plus against Mono Red, I was kind of searching for more things to hold off their early aggression. Like if you play a two drop and then you have a two drop with a blossoming defense or a fatal push or something like anything that allows you to like double spell in the early turns is huge. And Ballista on turn four, like kind of counts as a double spell, which is like also another reason to have the the 22nd land so that you could have four mana untapped on turn four. So Mm -hmm. all of that seemed pretty normal. I cut a Rishkar. Yeah, what I, maybe you could talk a little bit about your one ofs that you ended up playing. You played a one of Rishkar, one of Scarab God. That's a number that's gone down over time, and the one of Vraska's Contempt. I, I think is a little bit less interesting. You know, just a fine catch all. But it, how did you arrive at the numbers on Rishkar and the Scarab God? Everyone is always trying to kill your two drop. Like your two drop is always so terrifying. Whether it's like Cub Siphoner or Constrictor. Obviously, if it's Ballista, it's not that super scary. And Rishkar is one of the things that makes turn two Ballista like not as embarrassing, but I, I just found that my two drops were dying and then Rishkar is really bad. It's like, you know, you go into the post board games and you know that there's going to be like more removal and the games are going to be grindier and the things that rely on you sticking a creature in play just become less good. Like Rishkar is probably a card that you would just board out a bunch, but it felt kind of like the post board games were happening in game one just because of how the format is where there are very few control decks and there's just a lot of energy and mono red and things that you need to kill early. Interesting. Yeah. Risk card is kind of a card that I don't like in general. It's a card where you remember the games where it's dominant and forget the games where it either rots in your hand or is just like kind of this completely ineffectual body based on in comparison to everything else that's going on in the format. So, so I'm cool with dropping that number down. I honestly would be completely cool if risk left the deck overall. I, I wanted to Reed made me keep it. Hmm. I made a couple concessions to my teammates. As, as all good teammates would. I, I think that's a huge part of the process. Do you know his reasons for his Rishkar defense? We may or may not have talked about it. I don't actually really remember, but I just know that he was like, yeah, you can cut one, but I would I would just like keep the other one. I don't know. It's just like, it does contribute to some nut draws. Like if, if you stick a two drop and play Rishkar. Sure. You know, you're going to get some free wins here and there, right? Uh, that literally never happened to me over the course of the entire tournament. For kind of the reasons you're talking about, your two drop always dies. And yeah. now here's your stupid three drop, which is just like a 3-3 three, three Llanowar Elf. You know, that's not impressive anymore, especially given the current state of standard and the way things go. Yeah, and I'm not ramping into anything. It's not like I get to play Rishkar into Verderous Gear Hulk or whatever. You know, that's nope. just not happening. Yeah, exactly right. So, yeah, going forward, I, I would consider cutting it. I do think that it removes an angle from the deck and I've I've written about this in the past like just mentioned it here and there where like the more layers of different things that your deck is capable of doing like the more successful you will likely find yourself it's not like your deck should be trying to do 10 things at once or whatever but like if you get to add this free nut draw into your deck or this this free capability of doing something like imagine if I never played like the scarab god in my deck like going long i would just like struggle in some games right and like obviously there are games where like the scarab god is going to rot in my opening hand and just be awful but at least now i have that capability right rishkar does that too where like if you go snake into rishkar like they're probably dead sure I'm, uh, i couldn't dispute that for a second it's yeah probably the most busted opening in the format but i don't think that those situations are are going to happen all that often you know so I, I would be fine with if the metagame stays the same and there's a lot of spot removal that Rishkar could just leave the deck entirely. I would be completely fine with that. And along those lines, can we have the second Scarab God back? Because it, it really frightens me to only have one Scarab God in my deck. How did you reach that number? Most of the Sultai decks only play one. 
they have like one main one board or you know only one in the 75 or whatever the scarab god in the main deck was actually another concession to my teammates they just they're just like the scarab god is too good you have to play one main you you were ready to go with no scarab gods yeah dude i just wanted to play two bristling hydras like cut the rich car cut the god play two hydras that sounds like a very jerry t thing to do i'm sure you have a reason behind it me being a total schlub and relying on the power level of my cards i want to play more scarab gods um, you know, <laughs> watching games over the weekend, seeing how instrumental Scarab God was in so many of them. So yeah. many games just felt they were about the Scarab God. It was all that mattered. And I understand that I understand that decks are, are built in that way. Like they're designed to go to a point where you can play Scarab God games. And this deck isn't really built in that fashion. It's it got is a little not. bit more early game, but it, it's kind of like you're talking about. There's value in having multiple layers to your deck building. To me, a second copy of the Scarab God seems like it will win you many more games than maybe that one of Rishkar or, you know, a, a few of the other fun ofs floating around here. But talk talk to me about why you disagree, why you think one was correct, because I'm kind of shocked. So against Red, the Scarab God is good, which I think goes against popular opinion. But like even testing for worlds, we found that the Scarab God is just like one of the best things you could be doing against Mono Red because they're coming at you from a bunch of different angles. They have a lot of ways to burn you out and, you know, Ken Ra coming back from the graveyard. Like they have a lot of good stuff happening going long. And Scarab God is one of the things that you can jam and just kind of like lock up the ground and actually put a clock on them. The issue with Sultai is that like, yeah, you don't have enough removal spells to like slow the game down to get to the point where you can drop Scarab God and, and not just be like dead on board, basically. Five mana is a lot more than four. Uh, Ten of my lands ETB tapped on turn five. So it just, it seemed like a tall order, you know? And like my moto testing also kind of reflected that, but the WMC matches, like this, the Scarab God ended up being very good. Uh, I do think that Bristling Hydra also would have been good. And Hydra is just another thing that lines up well against Glorybringer and allows you to maintain some traction even in the face of like their best card against you. And obviously Scarab God does that as well, but it's just like a turn slower. And, yes. and we did things like Confiscation Coup and whatever. Whereas Hydra is just there. Okay. I, I see where you're coming from. I wouldn't have gone that route. Not saying you're wrong. I, I just would have taken the more powerful card in the vacuum and uh, let it bail me out when things went bad. Um, even if my deck isn't inclined to want that kind of pace to its game, even if it's inclined to end the game a little earlier. Yeah, I think you can play a Scarab God almost for free. I mean, there are some opening hands where it's just like, ugh, like, why is this thing in here? And... The mana doesn't necessarily cooperate all the time. Like, it's very unlikely that you actually get to eight mana unless you've been, like, rogue refining and siphoning a bunch. But, yeah, it, it is, like, obviously a super powerful card and capable of winning games that no other card will win you. So I, I totally understand trying to play one, but I mostly was trying to go with the consistency of, like, you know, I want to curve, like, two drop, two drop, four drop. And Hydra is the best four drop because it is good against the cards that are good against you. That leaves me a little bit weaker in like the super long games, but oh well. So an interesting card that you don't have in your list, and it's one that we had mentioned both liking in the show prior to your departure, and that is the Black Cartouche. Did you consider that card for your sideboard at any point? Did you just find that the Die Young Braska Contempt package was better against Mono Red? I tested so many configurations against Mono Red. Like I had at one point a sleeve sideboard of, I think, 25 different cards. And I played anywhere from two to four sets against Oliver. I don't remember how many, but it was like a decent amount. And he was basically just like, you know, I think this is how I want to sideboard against Sultai. We tried it. It was good. And then I was trying like a bunch of different things to basically try to stabilize the early game while also being able to beat his big cards, which is like kind of a tall order because there's not a lot of cards that overlap in doing that. Walking Ballista certainly helps. Bristling Hydra helps a lot too. And then like the Scarab God I felt was just the best thing for beating the top end. So uh, my sideboard plan was basically just like bring in the Dayungs, the Hydra, the Contempt, the God, and Essence Scattered depending on player draw and cutting some Siphoners, the Rishkar, and a Hostage Taker. And then if I was on the play, like you could cut like a couple Fatal Pushes, but uh, that, that basically just like depended on how they sideboarded and how they were playing, you know, but... Uh, I think that plan is really good. At one point when I had more Hydras, uh, I was trying some Cartouches and I was trying a playset of Greenbelt Rampagers at one point. Uh, I think that was like kind mm -hmm. of the first thing I started with because it was so different than what everyone else was doing. And Rampagers were good, man. You play a Rampager on turn two and like 
it gives you just like so much breathing room, but like you still need something like the Scarab God to actually like close the door. So Rampager by itself was not translating to as many wins as I would have wanted, but I do think that if you have the space, like there are worse things that you could be doing for sure. And when I had four Rampager, two Hydra, I was all about the cartouche. That makes sense. Kind of as your body shrank, you had to move away from it. I do like the modality of Die Young. You know, it's it's both a bridge to the late game and a key card in the late game as far as answering Hazaret. So I, I see the appeal of that card in the matchup for sure. Um, and that's kind of a key point against Mono Red is being able to interact with both stages of their gameplay. Right. And it's really tough. You know, like it doesn't yes. take much for them to put early pressure on you. It's just like a Bowman and a Kenra or like a Carry Zev or whatever. And then... You're, you're struggling to deal with that early stuff, and then they just start, start dropping bombs on you, you know? So it's like you got to clean up the little stuff, and then you have to find a way to fight through the big stuff, and it is a really tall order. And Dai Young helps with both of that, basically. But I think the, the real part of the plan wasn't really, like, what I was bringing in necessarily. It was, like, what I was taking out, or rather what I was not taking out. And because of how I was trying to fight both of their plans, I found that... Conventional wisdom was like, oh, you cut the rogue refiners because they're like slow and they don't block well. They die to shock and they're definitely keeping in shock against you. And I, I just wanted the rogue refiners. Like I, I wanted both the velocity and the land drops and the energy for, for die young because like sometimes my die youngs came up short because like this deck doesn't make energy really well. Keeping in the rogue refiners, I think is huge. I do think that you could probably get away with shaving one because like drawing multiples is pretty bad, but yeah, you just end up with these hands where it's like you have a Fatal Push and they have a Hazaret or you're missing land five for Scarab God or whatever. And Rogue Refiner is just kind of that thing that helps you bridge the gap. And it does make your Die Youngs a lot better. And yeah, Die Young was just like this card that I would have in my hand with like no energy facing down a Hazaret. And I'm just like, what am I doing with my life? Yeah, that's a really nice point. Uh, it, it brings up that you should always be reevaluating your sideboard cards in context, right? Like, or your sideboard plans in context. Even if a card is the default, this is the bad card in the matchup. Well, once you start leaning on cards like Die Young, you can totally see how all of a sudden the Rogue Refiners go up in priority in the post-board games, and you have to kind of reconstruct your sideboard plan from square one. Yeah, especially when it's Die Young and my plan to close the game is play the Scarab God. You know, it's like, I, mm. I, I want the land drop and the energy. I want every part about this card. And also, like, the games can be kind of grindy, too. So it wasn't uncommon for them to just, like, kill all my stuff. And then I'm sitting on, like, a contempt and a push. And then they just eventually fight through it with, like, a Kenra or, like, burn me out with Ramanap Ruins. Yeah, just, like, having the card advantage actually mattered a lot, too. So, yeah, after, after like, a day and a half of playing against Oliver, uh, I finally figured out a plan that I liked. And then I could... I, I felt fine, like actually just like proceeding and moving on with my life, you know, but before that it was like, oh, my red matchups are just like really close. And like, what can I do to fix it? And I think I figured out a way to actually fix it. So does that mean, I mean, I know you don't have really any standard action coming up, but if you did, would you be playing Sultai now? Do you think you're Sultai guy? I think so. I mean, I could see playing mono red, but my testing both on Magic Online and in the tournament was just like, man, like the games I lose are all really close. And I think that if my deck were configured a little bit differently and I just like figured out the matchups and stuff, like I think that those close games would turn into wins or like if I wasn't making small mistakes or maybe I should have mulliganed a little bit more aggressively or whatever. Like there are always things that I could have been doing differently. And I don't think I'm at a point where I have 100% the best Saltai list. I think I'm like, you know, 90% of the way there or whatever. But yeah, I do like this deck a lot. And I was surprised at how well I did. And I played against like a lot of red decks, a lot of energy decks, some blue white decks, you know, like I, I played against like the field, right? And I, I just kind of killed it. Well, that's a ringing endorsement. I certainly, uh, if I had any standard coming up to play, I would put in some reps with this in that case. Yeah, so I have Santa Clara and I'm teaming with Raptor and Webb. I think Raptor is Legacy, although I found a Legacy deck that I really like today. So I'm just kind of like, eh, maybe I should play Legacy, but... Webb won his RPTQ with Grixis Death Shadow, so he might play that. And then it's like, okay, well, that leaves me for standard. And I was thinking about just playing like mopey old team or energy. And then it was like, ah, no, maybe I'll just mono red some people. And now I'm just like, maybe I'll saltize some people. So I do think that I'm actually going to stick with this deck. You know, you mentioned kind of things being very close and, and little small tweaks. Can I tell you that in all my years watching Magic and even playing Magic, because I find when I play Magic, I kind of detach from the emotion of it in the midst of the game. Mm -hmm. I've I've never been as heartbroken by a result as when you guys lost your winning in for top eight. Like they were just devastating matches to watch. Dude, thank you. I, I appreciate yeah. that because it was like brutal to see. 
I, I, so I have an article going up. It's going up Thursday, which is tomorrow from when we're recording this. Uh, but the podcast will go up on Friday, presumably. So it'll be yesterday's article. And it, I basically just like talk about the World Magic Cup and my thoughts and feelings with it and everything. And yeah, man, I, I was I was heartbroken too. Like I was there and trying to have fun and and contribute to just overall having the tournament be a positive experience for a lot of people and everything. But that's also kind of like my default mode. But like, also I just, I cared, man. I cared a lot. Like we started one, two. And if that were an individual Grand Prix or whatever, I would have just been out of there. I would have just dropped. I would have been hanging out with people and having fun. But instead it was just like, no, like we're, we're still alive. We, we still have this, like there are people at home who, Maybe they're not like, oh, these guys are representing my country or whatever, but like they would be a little bit happier if USA won, you know, like it does matter to people, I think. Yeah, I was invested totally. And, you know, I'm I'm not the type of person who kind of gets invested. Obviously, knowing everyone who was on the team had a lot to do with it and, right. you know, liking everyone who's on the team, that kind of doubles my interest. But at the same time, you know, the World Magic Cup may have its flaws in kind of its structure and... I guess that's really the only flaw I bring up. It, the structure is weird for sure. I don't think it's completely busted. It's just weird. But that being said, it does a really good job of getting people invested with the outcome of Magic, much more so than a regular Pro Tour, I think. like People have rooting interests at the World Magic Cup, and it really changes the, the shape of the game. There's something to be said for teams in spectator sports, and rooting for one person will always feel different than rooting for a, for a team. Right. It's not to say the future of magic has to be team based, but if you look at other, you know, now we're in the the mode of treating magic like an esport and thinking about magic like an esport. And most other esports have a huge team component to them. Even Hearthstone, I think, does a little bit more with teams than, you know, magic does at this stage. It wouldn't surprise me if teams are a much bigger part of magic going forward. And you already see that to some extent with kind of getting the team series off the ground. I think things may even move even further in that direction in the future. Maybe when, you know, Magic Arena becomes a big part of the OP scene, that could be very team-based. It'll be interesting to see, but it definitely changes my rooting interest to a dramatic degree. Yeah, I mean, it is weird in that, like, the team series just kicked off and, like, there are very few three-person teams that play Grand Prix and stuff. Like PGO is obviously like the big one. It's like those three people are going to team together for the end of eternity, right? But mm. most of the other rosters just like change so much that you can't develop rooting interests really. It's like, all right, I kind of like this guy and this guy, but like I don't know their third, so it's whatever. You They don't play together long enough to like build the storylines that PGO has. And, exactly. And I think it's in Magic's best interest to kind of cultivate that and, you know, get some of these major organizations involved. And, you know, all of a sudden there's a Team Liquid Magic team and a TSM Magic team, and it's the same people all the time. Now, they're not incentivized to do so because that's not the way tournament magic is set up. Right. But we'll see in the future. I, I, I think it's a promising avenue to explore. At least. Yeah. But for the World Magic Cup, like, it doesn't really matter. It's like, yeah, maybe you know two of the people and. The third is kind of random or whatever, but like maybe there's a Cinderella story there, right? Like maybe this person mm -hmm. ends up being a moto ringer or whatever, but you, you slap like an American flag on it or like a Japanese flag or whatever. And it's like suddenly people care, you know, yes. they, they might not even yeah. realize they care. Maybe they're like, oh, I'm rooting for Jerry, but it's like, oh, no, like also the country matters too. For me to feel a deflated feeling after seeing a game of Magic, I remember when Reed's opponent had, what is it, Dead Eye Tracker? Is that the card yep. that uh, eats the graveyard? His opponent has two Dead Eye Trackers in play, and my heart is literally just sinking. Like, oh, I want them in the top eight so badly. Oh, yeah. No, um, after I lost my match, I just assumed that we had lost. Great sideboard tech. That was definitely the right card for that matchup. Oh, yeah. Uh, Sam Sam is very good, and his his deck was quite good, and certainly he was in the right seat for it, you know, and it just yeah. kind of sucked that, like, we played against Wales twice, and in the first time, uh, I won, Oliver lost, and then the second time, Oliver won, and I lost, and obviously both times, Reed lost to Blue Black Control, because nightmare matchup. Uh, what did you think about the hostage taker? Your hostage taker? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's the one complicated spot that's all I, I don't i really don't why don't you talk about it i don't want to say anything about it i want you to talk about it the board state is uh i dress my opponent they have a vizier and a rogue refiner in hand so i brick on duress and maybe that is like a talking point like why the hell is duress in my deck like my opponent didn't have glory bringer and he had a bunch of spells and being able to protect myself with duress kind of made sense but obviously i didn't want to draw two i only brought two in but they have 
A Servant of the Conduit, one energy, five lands, Thopter token, Vizier token, copying my Scarab God, Aether Sphere Harvester. I know that's a lot to process, but whatever. They're at eight. I'm at 18. I have five land, just use one to cast a rest. Uh, Rogue Refiner, Scarab God, Long Tusk Cub with two counters and two energy. My hand is Hostage Taker and I forget what else. But yeah, basically like the situation here is like, I can Hostage Taker, their Vizier, attack with my two potential 5-5s. Five they can trade off Harvester for one of my 5-5s, five but then they get to cast Vizier from their hand. Copy my Hostage Taker, take my Scarab God. They're at three life, but if they get to untap, they get to cast my Scarab God. Things just kind of went poorly from there. Uh, I flooded out, drew some lands. I was drawn to Walking Ballista for maybe eight turns, and eventually I was defeated. Uh, a lot of people were like, well you cast that Hotsis Shaker there, like, you know what's going to happen because you duress them. And it's like, yeah, but like, what if I don't cast it, right? So mm -hmm. I have Scarab God. I could just not cast Hotsis Shaker. I could just start Scarab God. Like, I could Scarab God a Rogue Refiner this turn, right? Or like their Whirler Virtuoso, maybe make some flyers, but like that plan doesn't really work because they have Harvester. Maybe combat changes this turn. Like, I, I don't know what exactly I attack with, but basically the, the process for me was we both have Scarab God. They have more mana than me. They have a Rogue Refiner in hand. They are probably going to get to eight lands. And at that point, if they have an Aether Hub, they have like two activations of Scarab God compared to my one. And obviously that's a losing battle. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I thought it was a tough situation. Maybe it is like I get back Whirler between Thopter and maybe like the Scarab God hitting them. Like maybe I can, you know, deal them enough damage to burn them out. And maybe that's the right play. And I think if I attack with both five fives this turn, maybe he trades away the Harvester. But like, if we both have Scarab God and my opponent has Harvester and my opponent has more mana sources, I don't like my 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 situation, right? So I, I think you're playing to the theoretical game that you will win. Whereas like in the moment, it's, it's very easy to make an argument against the way you're playing the game. Right. But when you're thinking about the conceivable games that you will win, they all involve playing in that fashion. Does that make sense? I think so. Yeah. And like, obviously it's, it's a weird situation and my teammates were there and I'm just like, you know, I want to do this. And like, they're both just kind of like, yeah, I mean, that seems like your best play. And obviously it's going to end poorly in like, you know, the span of two or three turns, but like, if we are trying to win this game, it is we are going to try and draw one of our three ballistas that we still have in our deck. Yeah. And, you know, that's what a great magic player does. And it was very easy for kind of armchair quarterbacks to doubt the decision because when it goes poorly and you brick for like six turns in a row, it's very easy to question that spot. But had you just drawn the card that you were playing towards, which you had very good odds of doing so, and you knew you had guaranteed yourself some time to get to that point, you know, you look like a genius and you played the game perfectly. And, I think the theoretical games you win involve playing in that fashion in most cases. Is there an argument for playing in another fashion? Absolutely. I don't think it's an out of hand, incorrect decision to approach the matchup in a different way, but I do think you maximized your winnable games by playing in that fashion. I don't know. Like now, now thinking about it, it's like, man, I'm, I'm curious as to what would happen if I do the other thing. Like, obviously I want to know, like, what if I attack with both five fives, he trades off the harvester for the cub. I mean, if, if he trades off with my Scarab God, like that's awesome, right? Because I get to pick it back up and I could hostage taker his God and then he doesn't have a good hostage taker target off the Vizier. But I think mm. what happens is I attack with both. He probably puts the Harvester and some other stuff in front of the Cub. I can get back Whirler. The Cub is still going to die, but I kill the Harvester. And so now he's still at three and I have a zombie. Well, I guess he gets to take my Scarab God, so I can't actually like drain him out with the scarab god but like maybe maybe my thopter gets there i don't know like he still has a thopter too yeah i guess i guess it is just bad for me i don't know tough spot that's that's why i wanted you to talk about it i i think there's nuance to it i think there's arguments in both directions i think a lot of people tried to sell it as a punt i thought it was the furthest thing for a punt that's not what crossed my mind when i saw the play uh, I think that's a very simplistic piece of analysis if you're looking at that turn in that fashion. yeah so. it is it is funny to me how uh, the screenshot that I have for my article is like, I just have like the reddest and largest advantage bar I've ever seen in my entire life. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, that's that's not really the case. Because it especially looks bad because it's like I have the advantage bar. I cast the hostage shaker. I like lose my board position and like the advantage bar goes the other way. And people are like, oh, man, he sucks. Right. And just yeah. like, ah, yeah, damn it. <laughs> hey, let, let's let's throw it back to last week's episode. One of the biggest weaknesses in my game, caring what people think, 
don't take on that weakness for yourself. Like you just discussed the play. You had reasons for making the play in the fashion you did. Who cares what people think? It really doesn't matter. Totally defensible play in my eyes. Yeah. And you could say that it's just like, oh, that that play was fine or whatever. But it is really important to look at the alternative, right? Like, and especially the one that, sure, that sure. like the mass masses just wanted me to do, which was like, do nothing. That's like, you can see how the game like also slips away from me if I do that, right? So people yes. people are just like, well, what you did was bad. And it's like, yeah, but if I just pass, it's also bad, you know? Also bad. And maybe leaves me with fewer winnable games. Like you're you're playing to percentages in that point. And the percentage of games you win with that play, I think is higher than making the do nothing play. Yeah. So, so uh, now I'm trying to like look at graveyards. Like, all right, if I scared God the Whirler and attack with my five fives, maybe he just chumps one of them. And then might hit me back with Harvester and gain some life, which would put him up to six, which means that like Ballista really isn't an out anymore. Like that was another thing. It was like, I want to kill the Harvester because I think Ballista's my out. Uh, and then maybe he like, yeah. like draws a land, gets to play Rogue Refiner and Vizier or gets to play Rogue Refiner and animate something else. You know, like I, I just think like the game slips away from me even further. Like, I don't really care what Twitch chat thinks most of the time. Uh, I did want to go back and watch the video because like some people were talking about it and like how it was a punt or whatever. And now that I went back and read it, I don't feel like it's a punt. I also feel like, man, Twitch chat sucks. Because <laughs> like- That is accurate. They were all over me. They hated it. But Reed also asked Owen and Owen was like, yeah, I, I wouldn't have cast Hostage Shaker there. And Reed's like, well, what would you have done? Owen's like, don't know, too complicated. <laughs> it's like- all right. Yeah, I mean, exactly. That's exactly it. Magic is not a game of perfect information. You're faced with these incredibly complicated spots all the time. You made what you felt was the highest percentage play. I think that's a defensible analysis of the situation. And basically, Twitch chat can go scratch. I mean, we we know that Twitch chat tends to be one of the biggest cesspools around Magic right now. And, uh, you know, along those lines, props to it seems like Wizards and Star City are both taking efforts to kind of clean up their yep, Twitch chat. Love it. Yeah, love it too. It's a, a huge boon. There's no place for kind of the vitriol that Twitch had a spewed at Magic for years and years now. I'm happy to see it being, you know, tampered down quite a bit. Yeah, for sure. Me too. So yeah, I don't know. I Obviously, this is, this is a heartbreaker and I'm going to remember this for a while. Uh, I think the actual punt maybe was having the two duresses in my deck, but that's basically only because the way this game played out, they, they looked pretty bad, or at least the second one did. And I did not have Veraska's Contempt in my deck, which maybe I should have, but like my opponent didn't have Glorybringer and it didn't seem like he really had anything threatening. But like being able to pick off a Vizier, especially one that was like copying my Hostage Taker, would have been huge. Yeah. Yeah. It so I think that might have been the actual punt was just like this slight, slight sideboarding error that, that maybe cost me. But I don't know, man feel like I let down my country, let down my teammates. It blows. It would have been awesome to keep the undefeated streak alive because this was the only constructed match I lost in the tournament. <laughs> so kind of brutal all around. Yeah, bad time for a match loss, but I'm, I'm quite sure that your teammates were not disappointed with you. Uh, I'm willing to say that comfortably. And I'll speak for America too. I'm willing to take on that mantle. I don't think you let your country down either. I, I think you played magic. You played magic well, and you ended up in a tough spot. So be it. Magic's hard. Yes, it is. Well, uh, anything else regarding uh, all things Sultai? Uh, I think that wraps up kind of my Sultai questioning. You you did a good job selling me on the deck. Like I said, I would certainly get some reps in with it if I had a standard tournament coming up anytime soon. So the one thing I will note is that playing Teamer might feel like really comfortable and nice because all your cards are super powerful and like that's kind of what you were saying about the Scarab God. But this is very much like a fish deck. This kind of reminds me of like the white, black, like dark confidant, white weenie decks from like Ravnica, Time Spiral Standard, like that sort of thing. Like a lot of decks go over the top of you and you have a lot of ways to like get under them and like slowly tighten the noose and everything. And I really enjoy that style of playing. Yeah, I generally do too. I, I, I also like... I think Blossoming Defense is a really strategically interesting card. Not only, obviously, where it's a complete blowout and you just counter your opponent's expensive spells. That's very nice as well. But I think, you know, what, knowing when to go offensive with Blossoming Defense, knowing when to save your creatures with Blossoming Defense, all really interesting decision points and, and kind of a style of magic I really like. So, Yeah, Blossoming Defense was among my best cards for sure. I think Siphoner was by far my best card. It probably should be more homes for that card, right? Dude, it's so good. I still like the idea of the mono black deck with Siphoner and Ruin Raider. Like there's there's something there. At some point that's going to be pretty real. 
Yeah, I think deck probably just needs like a cheaper removal spell. Mm-hmm. You know, something to bridge the gap between like push and Vraska's content. Yeah, something that's yeah. that's not as miserable as like walk the plank. Yeah, what a disappointing card that turned out to be. Like the first time I cast it, I was like, oh, this card just feels awful, actually. Yep. So uh, there are some slight changes I would make, and uh, I'm going to write an article about Sultai that should go up today with like sideboarding plans and like some of the situations that I came across in testing and stuff. So that should be a good article for anyone who's interested in Sultai. Small changes include probably cutting Rishkar and swapping the spell pierces to negates, which was kind of a concession for the unified format because uh, Reed desperately needed the, the gates, even though they ended up not helping him. That, yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, this deck is certainly better equipped to play games with Spell Pierce yep. uh, and its belt as opposed to Negate. For sure. And uh, some of the other teams, I was just looking at, like, all the lists from the WMC, and some of the teams played Supreme Will, which I think is reasonable. Yeah, just, like, it doesn't seem that bad to me to, pl- to play that instead. But Spell Pierce was pretty good. But yeah, Nissa kind of sucked. The second Appetite wasn't really necessary. Maybe second Essence Scatter. Maybe more Hydras. I don't know. Who knows? Max Hydras. Uh, not Max, not Max. I, you want to draw one per Come game. Because it doesn't die, you know? That's true. <laughs> it does kind of just sit on the battlefield yep. forever. And either dominates or sits yes, there. Those correct. are the two options. Those are its two modes. The other thing I think that's really going on is GP OKC this weekend. And I suppose GP Madrid as well. Team Unified Modern in Madrid and uh, Singles Modern for OKC. And I'm not going because... Uh, Raptors coming into town and we're just going to hang out. We're just going to have a weekend without magic and just kind of bro it up a little bit. So I'm pretty excited for that. Nice. Hangout time's always good. Get a, I mean, you've been playing a lot of magic lately. You've been qualified for absolutely everything. <laughs> so I, I think you're probably due a break at this point. Yeah. I mean, I, I keep saying like, oh, when's my chance to play modern? And like, this is it. And, and this was like the week that Raptor could do it because he's going to Thailand for two weeks to hang out with his family and stuff. So I'm just like, yeah, man, I will I will happily make this sacrifice. I'm down to hang out because we, we just don't hang out that much without a magic tournament associated with it, you know? And I think that it is cool to get into the habit of doing these sweet things where you're you're not reliant on there just being a magic tournament for you to hang out with your friends, you know? No, you're exactly right. And that's something I think about a lot. Um, you know, I think about friends who have left magic and how it's it's hard to find the time to kind of get with them when it's not based around going to a magic tournament every weekend. And I, I have been trying to be better about making efforts to kind of catch up with those people and, you know, do other things with my magic friends other than just sling spells all the time. Not to say there's anything wrong with playing magic all the time. I mean, I love magic, but got to do other stuff too. Yeah. I mean, for my friends who work at wizards or, or don't play that much magic, it has basically been like, I have, I have a friend who I go to the gym with, on occasion, I haven't gone for like the last two months because like you said, I've been busy and it's hard to get back into that routine. But, you know, yes. like talking to him at the gym for an hour every day is cool. For the Wizards people, it's like maybe they're playing board games or video games and I'll just like go over to their house and like hang out while they do that. That's not a thing that I'm necessarily interested in doing, but at least I get to be around them and chat with them and catch up and stuff. And then I'm fortunate enough that there are enough cool people around here that, you know, you just get to like share meals with people. It's like, if I'm going to go out and have lunch or dinner or something, like I want to do it in the company of these good people. And I don't mind eating alone. And I've certainly done that like a lot more than like in my earlier days, I would just like never do that. But now I'm just like, yeah, I'm fine. But I I, I just think that there's no reason to, to do it alone. You know, like if you have people near you who are awesome and you want to catch up with, like just go have a meal with them. Yeah, you have a good spot for awesome people. You've accumulated quite a few of them up there in the uh, Pacific Northwest. So and they just keep definitely coming. Definitely take advantage of that. They just keep yeah, coming. You, just, you filter in more and more people all the time. Yeah. Meanwhile, all my friends leave where I live. Just one after, <laughs> they're like, you know what, this place has to get out of here. So. Well, they all come here, so. Yep, that's true. Yeah, so hanging out with friends is cool, and I'm skipping OKC as a result. Uh, I'm about to do a video with a blue-white Thopter Foundry search for Escanta deck, so I'm pretty excited about that. But oh, fun! If I were going, I don't know, man. I'm I'm really inspired by the people who keep killing it with Lantern. Like first it was Zach Elsick, now it's Canister, now Sam Black uh, going eight yeah, zero. Sam, Sam's article was great. Sam's article was great. Yep, uh, a really great primer. And were is exciting tech. Uh, we kind of talked a little bit before we started recording, and we we're both like, yeah, I think I would play this deck. You know, it, it's a cool piece of tech. I thought the deck was already very good you know, kind of one of the few ways you can successfully play control in modern. I know a lot of people bemoan Lantern. I think it's one of the coolest pieces of deck building of all time. A lot of weirdo decks are starting to pop up around Magic Online. There is a mono blue living end deck 
which is making the rounds, you know, a little mopey, kind of some weird stuff going on, but it's coming from a new angle. I like playing Ancestral Vision for free. I like playing My Living Ends for free. I don't know. There might be something to this deck. The Teleria West package kind of bringing a lot of stuff together and you get access to counter magic. So maybe this mono blue living end deck merits some exploration. Yeah, I don't know. I, I would have to play with it. I have no idea. I mean, I feel the same way about Lantern too, where it's like, I do think that it is probably a very good choice, but I don't know that it would be a good choice for me, you know? Have you played games with Lantern before? Zero. I've played against it several times, and like I, I feel like I dismantled it a couple times with Bant Eldrazi, and I played against it with like various Grixis decks and stuff. Like I think I know how to play against it, which should translate to playing with it to some degree. It would not surprise me if you actually really liked Lantern. I think it kind of benefits from the type of person who takes a very long-term approach to games, loves to plan things out many turns in advance. Lantern kind of fits right in with that play style. I, I think it's one of my most natural modern decks. It feels like a modern deck, which really hits on my skill set very nicely. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all if it does the same for you. Yeah, I don't know. I, I also want to be like more proactive these days, just in general. So it would probably feel weird playing that deck, but it is, it's kind of proactive in a weird way. Yeah, it, it's a hard deck to define. I know what you're saying. It's hard to call a deck that, you know, sits behind an ensnaring bridge and a lantern proactive, but I do get what you're saying. It asserts its game plan very quickly. It kind of doesn't waste any turns and, you know, does so while disrupting. So I, I get what you're saying. And that's why it is able to succeed as a control deck in modern, whereas usually they just kind of sit there and die. Yep. You know, it takes this new approach. So, uh, Other than that, Death Shadow. <laughs> Maybe humans. Still, still good. Totally reasonable choice. Death Shadow will probably remain a totally reasonable choice for a very long time. Yeah, there's just good, there, powerful cards. There's been a lot of interesting pieces of technology from like the Grixis side of things. A buddy of mine, Carlos Morale, is playing Madrid this weekend, and he has like Charter Course and a Cryptic Command in his deck and some other spicy things. And he Love said the char Charter Course. Yeah, he said the Charter Course is great, and I'm totally willing to believe that. Like, that sounds awesome. We've said it many times on the show. We're just waiting for kind of Charter Course to find a home across every format. It will. It's coming. I know I know. we keep saying it, and it sees some play right now, but it's a better card than the amount of play it's seen, for sure. Yeah, I kind of want to try some in, like, Sultai and Teamer. I do feel like those decks, like, really need playable one-drop to actually make it worth playing, you know? But mm -hmm. I, I do think that even just, like, one copy is, is probably reasonable. The other thing that I think might have been a punt for my Sultai decklist is, like, not playing a Green Desert, the Heshep Oasis. Hmm. I think one might have been free. I don't know. You know I hate the word free when things just can't possibly be free. I mean, it's virtually impossible for that card to be free. So I think it might be free. That that might end up not being the case in practice. I think it might be good enough, but free is, is yes. probably where I draw the line. Yeah. But I've played it before. I've played it in Teamer before. I think it's a reasonable inclusions in a lot of spots. And it's certainly won me a lot of games. So Cool. Yeah, maybe I should try one or two of those. I don't know. Two is definitely not free. Yes, that, that's true. We can say that authoritatively. Okay, so uh, last part of the podcast, we have been taking questions in the Patreon and just trying to answer one at the end of each show. And I think it's like, you know, a cool thing to start doing, adds a little bit uh, of a different element to the cast and everything. Yeah, it's hard. We get so many great questions. I wish like we could just answer them all. Maybe we'll do a mailbag someday. But uh, yeah, I, I do like ending the show with the with the one question from the uh, Discord Patreon every week. Yeah, so I, I could see like the mailbag happening as just like a Patreon only show or something like that. You know, like we I think I did one episode with majors and maybe Andrew that was a mailbag, but. That's a really cool idea. That's a really gr great way to give back to our Patreons is just, you know, that limited show. Uh, all ma mailbag questions. I'd be totally down for that. And I bet our Patreons would love that too. Okay, cool. Uh, so something to keep in mind, uh, hopefully have, you know, some new stuff by the new year. But the question was something to the effect of like any advice for someone playing in their first pro tour. Does that sound accurate? Yes. Okay. Yeah. It was from Amnesiac. He said, anything you would recommend to someone going to their first pro tour? Yeah. And I was kind of curious about this. I, it is not the the same amnesiac that plays Hearthstone. Oh, okay. Anyway, do, do you have a do you have a good answer? I do. I think I have a really good answer, and my answer is two words: you belong. I think that's the biggest hurdle for someone to get over at their first pro tour. Yes, you're going to walk into the room. 
You're going to look around. You're going to see people whose articles you've read for years, who you've, you've watched play in top eights before, who you, you know, kind of patterned your magic game on watching them. And, and there's going to be this moment where you're going to feel overwhelmed. And I'm telling you, if you are there in the room, you absolutely belong. And you have to do whatever it takes to keep sight of that, to remember that, to know that you can play magic on par with these people who are sitting all around you. I always call myself back to this really interesting story that Huey told, and it may have been during like his Hall of Fame induction period. And he was talking about Mike Segrist. And he was saying how Mike was always around when he was playing back in Boston back in the day. And he always thought Mike was a great player. And I think it was Rich who asked, do you think he could have ended up in your spot? And Huey said something to the effect of 100%. Had things just broken slightly differently, it could very well be Mike sitting here now as opposed to me. Mike is someone who I knew for years and years and played against for years and years. And I always thought he was an excellent player, but he was always just a local guy. And he never kind of leaped forward into the spotlight. And then it just took a couple things breaking in his favor. He beat me for a Pro Tour top eight. And he, from that point forward, catapulted into player of the year and it's now known as one of the best players in the game and he has three top eights correct so like he is in he's in the conversation he's starting to get in the hall of fame conversation exactly right and he was always a great magic player always not to say he hasn't gotten better obviously the more you play the better you get and he's spent a ton of time along alongside a really talented group of people and i'm sure he's learned a bunch but he was always great and just needed things to break his way and you going to your first pro tour you may be great. You may already be great and you just need some things to break your way and you'll learn as time goes on. And, you know, we're having this conversation next year with Amnesiac and he's a gold pro. And then two years from now, he's on his second platinum year in a row and he's known as one of the best players in the game. If you're at the pro tour, you belong. Everyone has to start somewhere. So your your two word answer is basically a very concise, awesome version of my answer. And my advice is is certainly in line with yours, but it's more of like a technical sense where I definitely agree that like if you are good enough to get to the pro tour, like you are you're good enough to do well there, just straight up. And I think I think this applies to like a lot of tournaments too. Just like, you know, maybe you're going to an RPTQ or even just like a Grand Prix, like you don't have to qualify for it or whatever, but like maybe an invitational or something. It's like if you are good enough to qualify, you're you're good enough to do well, just straight up. And in, in that sense, like you definitely do belong. And I think the, the thing that most people get tripped up about, including myself in my earlier days and even some now, uh, is that you don't necessarily have to do anything differently. Like a lot of people do get overwhelmed or think that they're out of their league and they just think that they, they have to break it or they have to play a high variance deck because like they don't want to play 10 turns against Huey or whatever. And I, I just think that that is fundamentally flawed. I think that if you are good enough to qualify for the PT, you're good enough to play there. You should continue doing what you're doing because it's it's working. You know, you are certainly comfortable with the things that you have been doing. And I think that that is the best way to stay successful. And you should not get super paranoid or freaked out or whatever uh, that like what you've been doing before is just suddenly not going to work against these people because it will like. If you're good enough to to qualify, you're definitely good enough to do well, and you should just like stick to the same like plan and regiment and everything that you've been doing. Hundred percent agree. I remember for years I talked myself out of at every big event. I wouldn't allow myself to play control decks. I would at like local tournaments and PTQs. I was always comfortable playing control decks. I had a ton of success, but I was like, oh, if I play a control deck at a pro tour, I play a control deck at this GP, I'm going to get outplayed. And then I started playing them and I'm like, what have I been doing this to myself this entire time? It's this crazy approach that we convince ourselves is right. Just be you have confidence in your abilities, play what you want to play. You belong a hundred percent. Yep. Yeah. I mean, Martin Juza gave that excuse for not playing our blue black control deck at worlds. Yeah. That's crazy to me. That's absolutely crazy, but it shows that everyone can get into this mode of thinking. Hall of Famer Martin Juza didn't play a deck because he was worried about playing against. Yeah. He's just literally one of the best players of all time. And he's like, Oh, I don't know. And it's like, okay, man, sure. You know, like Raptor top forward, Sam got fifth or sixth, I think sixth. And then I got ninth and it's like, dude, our deck was good. You know, you have to have belief in yourself. It's a, a huge part of success in magic. 
Um, and it starts with, you know, when you walk in the door being like, I am a pro tour player now. Here I am. Maybe it's not even just like believing in yourself. It's just not having those negative feelings and like the imposter syndrome and all that stuff, you know, just like just make it so that stuff doesn't affect you. You don't have to just be like, I'm the best or whatever. But like, yeah, just don't don't get think s- you're the worst. Right. Don't go in the other opposite direction. Yeah. It is, it is kind of interesting, though, because like someone at the Pro Tour has to be the worst, but that doesn't mean that they can't win the tournament. Exactly right. That's a great way of looking at it. I, I think there's some some famous winners of Pro Tours who people would argue may not have been the best player in the room and certainly were much closer to the low end of things than the high end of things. For sure. Absolutely. And, you know, they still have the trophy. That's what matters. So, yeah, I mean, I don't, but someone does. Someone has my trophy somewhere. It's yes. out there. Putting it to good use. Yeah, I wonder what it's doing. <laughs> you should get updates on your trophy. You know, pictures of it traveling around the world, yeah. waving to you. Yeah, that'd be fun. All right, man. Good show. Good show. Agreed. I think we covered a lot of ground, a lot of good stuff. I feel like we're impart- imparting more lessons these days, which I really like. I think that's a huge part of my game is, you know, a good mental game, a, a good uh, theoretical background. I like that we're delving into that stuff a little bit more and it seems like our listeners do too yeah that's cool for sure well at least at least the vocal ones are maybe other people are like yo why don't you talk about teamer for an hour and a half yeah they're just not listening anymore. they've all left (laughs) at this point exactly exactly uh well number 19 it was a pleasure i hope to someday surpass you but until then that is game Good luck.